Hey, welcome everyone, and thanks, whatever campus you may be worshiping at today. We're really, really glad that you're here. What an awesome week this has been, uh, other than uh, kind of a flash flood somewhere this week. It's been pretty good weather all around, and this coming week looks like much of the same. I hope you're enjoying these days of summer, and most of all, and this is the reason I say that, Summer for many in the capital region is a time to recalibrate. It's a time to try to take a step back from all your pressure and stress, hopefully, and get ready for the fall, which is to come. Uh, but I hope it's been a great summer for you. The mission of Grace Fellowship Church is to glorify God by making more and better disciples. For the month of August... We've been putting the spotlight on that better part. And today, I want to wrap up this brief series by talking to you about a refreshing challenge. Now, as our case study, and, and if you've been trekking with us, you, you know, because you've, you've been kind of going through these studies with us, we've been focusing on the relationship between the Apostle Paul and his younger disciple, Timothy. Oh, we've learned so much. We've learned that Timothy is not your typical superstar disciple. I'm comforted by that. And many of us are because we don't feel like superstar disciples either. We've learned that Timothy, like many of us, has a lot of hang-ups. He tends to be timid. He needs to be encouraged at times to be bold in the faith. But today, we want to see a little bit different angle on this discipleship thing. And I want us to put our focus today mostly on younger disciples. Now, don't misunderstand. Just about everything we say today also would apply to people of other ages, no matter where you are on this journey. But today, I want us to dip into the letter of 1 Timothy and look at some of the things that Paul challenges Timothy with there in the first letter that he wrote to him. I'm going to start in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you have a Bible of your own, just open it up there. Portable device, find that. You can look on the screens as well. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Now, would you agree with me that age is a relative term? Youth is a relative term. Would you agree with that? I remember being a teenager, and I thought of people who were 30 years old as ancient. Ancient, I tell you. I thought, wow. If I ever reach 30 years old, you know, I'll be one step away from the grave. And then I'll never forget my 30th birthday. And I thought, 
I don't get it. I used to think this was going to be kind of the end of the line. Like, I would be this really decrepit old person at the age of 30. That's the way it seemed when I was a teen. But wow, this doesn't feel very old at all. Now, I suppose that if you're 70, people who are 50 seem really, really young to you. And maybe for some of you, you're at an age where that anybody who's not yet retired yet is just a young'un, just a young'un to you, right? Youth is a somewhat relative term. Now, we're not exactly how old Timothy was. We're not exactly sure about that. Most of the Bible commentators conjecture that he was somewhere in his late 20s, maybe up to his mid-30s. If you kind of try to crunch all the numbers and put them together, the little facts we know, it seems he was somewhere in that range. And Paul is considering that young. And some of the people in the church at Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring considered that young. And apparently, some of them were kind of looking down their noses at Timothy, thinking, you young whippersnapper, you, what can you tell us? Surely, you don't have anything to really help us with. You are so young. And I think that we've always struggled with what to do with young people in the church. I think we want to relegate them many times to the student center. You do your thing there, we'll do our thing here, but we don't really know where young people belong. I think the Bible presents a very interesting picture. As I read scripture, it generally gives the idea that older people are, ought to mentor younger people. And that certainly makes a lot of sense. I believe that in the church, if nowhere else, the church ought to be a healthy model of intergenerational relationships. Young people respecting, even admiring many times if someone has run a good race and they're now in their winter years, their senior season of life. But it should also be a place where older people are nurturing and caring about and really loving young people and trying to pour into them because you want them to flourish. But in today's text, buckle your seatbelt. Paul says something I think that to most of us is really shocking. It probably shocked the older people who first read this in the church in Ephesus, Paul actually calls Timothy, in spite of his youth, to actually set an example and lead the way. Now, Paul is not naive. He knows both the dangers and the opportunities of youth. He speaks to some of the dangers in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, where he says, flee the evil desires of youth. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul is saying, Timothy, I get it. I've been there. I know that in your younger years, there's an intensity of temptation. In certain areas, it comes to you strong. It comes to you fresh. It's in your face. And he's sounding the alarm here about the dangers to which so many young people are exposed. 
So he gives the warning, look, flee those evil desires. But Paul also knows that on the flip side, there's an awesome opportunity for young people. And that's what I want to that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I hope particularly those of you who may be Timothy's age when he first received this or younger will listen with a keen interest, but I hope everybody else will listen as well because the principles are for us all. First of all, Paul challenges Timothy and every young disciple here to set the standard, to set the standard, to be an example. Let's look again at verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul gives five areas here where he says, Timothy in particular, but young people in general can actually set the standard. Now, do you find that to be a strange thought? I think normally in the church, normally in our thinking, we tend to believe that's the job of older people. But let me hit you with a fact from history. And facts are stubborn things. If you check out history carefully, older people usually, usually like to keep things kind of the same. We tend to gravitate toward the status quo if we're a bit older. It's more comfortable. It's less risky, we think. But young people, on the other hand, generally speaking, want to shake things up. I think that's unmistakably true. They don't want the status quo. Young people, history reveals, are generally drawn to things that are more exciting, new ventures, things that they believe that will make their world a better place. I think we can illustrate that easily. You know, in the last 50 or 60 years, some of the most effective ministries, particularly missions-type movements, were started and staffed by younger disciples. Back in 1985, I was living in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I had just finished a seminary degree, a Master of Divinity. I'd moved there for my first job out of school. I was working on an international team with 20 different uh, ethnicities and countries represented just on our course staff. We spoke over 60 languages among the people in that group. An incredible experience for me and I think for all of us. And every day of the week we had some sort of chapel. And so we had a guy come in one day. I'd never even heard of him. I didn't even know who he was at the time. His name was Lauren Cunningham. And Lauren Cunningham came in and spent the morning with us. He spoke to us, and then he hung out for conversation. It was a delight to meet this man, but he told his story, and I was moved by it. Lauren Cunningham told that when he was just 20 years old, he was in the Bahamas, and he was reading Scripture carefully and asking the Lord for direction. And he felt God strongly impressing him that young people can be missionaries. That young people can be the catalyst to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he began an organization called Youth with a Mission. Why when? 
Today, YWAM has over 15,000 missionaries across the world. It is the largest mission agency in the Western world. And it all began with a young man just 20 years old. Imagine that. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Or consider the example of Operation Mobilization. It was begun by George Verwer. He was a teenager. And he just started taking copies of the Bible, just scripture, to Mexico at first. And everybody, every single person on that original team was a teenager, under 20 years old. Imagine that. That's how young they were. But they courageously went there, took the gospel, took copies of the scripture. And George Verwers founded this ministry called Operation Mobilization, which has had over 120,000 people go as missionaries, many of them, of course, short-term. Today, they have over 5,500 full-time people working with Operation Mobilization, started by a teenager. Or what about K.P. Yohannan? Have you ever heard his name? Many have never heard of him. He's one of the greatest movers and shakers for Christ the world has ever seen. K.P. Yohannan, as a young man in India, had a vision for indigenous Indian people in that nation to reach other Indian people. And so he started a ministry called Gospel for Asia. Still alive and well. Today, Gospel for Asia has over 16,500 missionaries, mainly from India, reaching into India, mostly southern Indian people reaching into the spiritually barren points of northern India. But before any of these movements started, there was Amy Carmichael. Young girl growing up in Belfast, northern Ireland, just a teenager, mind you. God was moving in her heart, and God moved young Amy Carmichael to start reaching out to the children in the streets of Belfast. God broke her heart for them. Some of them were being trafficked in the sex trade. Some of them were homeless. Some of them have very troubled family situations. She began ministering to them, and then God broke her heart for the nation of India. And she went there in an area known as Tamil Nadu and spent 54 years of her life working primarily with children, never came home on a furlough in 54 years. She said she'd rather be doing the work of God than talking about doing the work of God. People said, but Annie, you've got to raise support. She said, I don't raise support. God is my supplier. She was a mover and a shaker for God. It all began, hear me today, when she was just a teenager. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers. We could give story after story, but Paul's challenge here is a penetrating one for every one of us, especially if you're in one of those young seasons of life. But Paul gives five areas here, and I quickly, very quickly, want to touch on each of those five things where he says you can set the standard. You can be an example. First of all, he says you can do it in your speech. Over and over again, 
Paul has challenged Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Be courageous. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. I think Paul had thrown Timothy into the deep end of the pool of ministry. That's one of the things he did with him. He sent him off to places to, with great challenge before him. It's like he was throwing him in the deep end, knowing that the best way for him to get acclimated was to jump right in. I'm so glad some adults did that for me. I've told you the story, but I still can't get over the fact that as a 13-year-old young believer, just in the Lord, a few months, some adults in my church apparently saw some kind of potential and threw me into a class teaching a group of young people, 11 and 12-year-olds, just a year or two behind me. I'm so glad they did. And that was my first opportunity in ministry, and I learned so much. So whether you're talking about your daily speech or whether you're talking about your testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ and your witness to the gospel, you can be an example in your speech. Secondly, he says, set the example in life. Now, what we say and how we live ought to be linked in perfect synchronicity, in perfect harmony. Have you ever seen one of those early films, just when films were starting to be made and they were kind of low budget? Have you ever watched one of those? It's agonizing, actually, some of them, because the audio and the video aren't synced up. And it's excruciating to try to watch some of them because the the words don't fit the actions on the screen. And that's not a good reflection on the actors, nor the writers, nor the producers, nor the owners. And the same is true in life. Paul says, Timothy, walk the talk. You need to understand that your actions need to be perfectly synced up with what you say and what you profess. Don't let there be a discrepancy there. Be an attractive audiovisual Christian, Timothy. That's the only way you're going to represent Jesus well. Third, he says, set the example in love. Now, youth is a great time for romance, to be sure, but that's not what he's talking about here. The Greek word here is agape, And agape is that love that seeks the good of other people. Be concerned about other people's well-being, Timothy. Care about them. Be willing to sacrifice for them. One of the best descriptions of that, I think, is is in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul writes the following, "Do do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Get this, this is amazing. Consider others... Better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. In other words, when you set the example in love, love is that quality that fi- where you find your joy in the joy of others. By serving, by helping, by ministering to them for their flourishing. So they can be the best God designed them to be. And let me give it to this current generation. 
This current generation of young people, as far as I can tell, really has it in their hearts. They seem to be committed to righting the wrongs in the world. Bravo. If that's you, if you've got that passion and that conviction, bravo. Young people, I hope you never lose that passion. Get involved. Get your hands dirty. Get involved with issues like poverty and racism and opioid addiction. Leave this world a better place than you found it. But that's going to require commitment on your part to honestly love people. Sometimes as people get older, I've noticed we tend to lose hope that we can make a difference. Don't lose hope. I tell you, by God's grace, you can make a difference. But it's going to involve your getting involved and committing your life to it. Fourth, set the example in faith. I believe that young people are more willing to trust God than most older people are. Now, faith and risk are not exactly the same thing. But faith usually involves risk-taking. And young people are naturally more risk-taking, I believe, than older people. I mean, who's lined up for a bungee jump? It's usually not senior citizens, right? It's, it's young people, and there's lots of reasons for that. Some of them are physical. Some of these older people are going, you, I'm not going to do that. I've seen things go wrong in my life. And so older people become more wary. I recommend that you read sometime Hebrews chapter 11. It's one of those chapters that I, I review every, every week. And as I go through that roll call of faith, and I went back this week and just checked it carefully. I thought there were 16 people mentioned by name in Hebrews 11. And sure enough, it was 16 people mentioned there. Now, there's a lot of others alluded to. But there's 16 names mentioned, men and women, who lived by faith and honored God with their lives. But do you know what they all had in common? All of the men and women mentioned there by name and all the others that are made reference to what they all had in common is that they all stepped out in faith, in obedience to God, and followed his call in their lives. Is that you? Are you willing to set the example in faith? To lead the way, believing we've got a big God and that God's got your back on this. Maybe I'm talking today to an Amy Carmichael, to a K.P. Yohannan, to a Lauren Cunningham, to a George Verwer. I don't know. But I believe God's got big dreams that he wants to put into the heart of a lot of young people. If you dare to step out in faith like so many others have. And then finally, he says, set the example in purity. Would you think that's a young person's job? I mean, isn't youth the time to sow some oats and color outside of the lines? No, says Paul, you set the standard in purity. And I want to tell you, purity, moral purity, is a battleground for people of all ages. 
Morality in our age has become almost totally subjective. In other words, it's whatever suits me. It's whatever I want. It's whatever I decide it is. That's the code that our culture lives by. And as a result, sexual relationships have become purely recreational for many people. Young people, let me be as blunt as I can possibly be. If you're going to live a God-honoring life sexually and morally in this world, listen, you are going to have to have a greater appetite for what is good than for what is evil. That's the only way I know you can do it. You've got to somehow cultivate, develop, ask God for grace to have a greater appetite for what is pure and honest and God-honoring than for what is not. That's the only way it can happen. And with Christ living in you, you can set the example in purity. You don't have to be a pawn of the culture. You don't have to be a slave to your own sinful desires. We looked at 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, here's what I want you to see about that. Flee. What does Paul mean by that? Does he mean just say no? Is that it? Is that all you do? Just say no. I tell you, that's not enough. And that will not work in the long run. Paul's prescription here is twofold. Yes, you flee, but then you also pursue something else. You pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. It's like he writes to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 4. Let those who have been stealing steal no longer, but rather... You say no to that, stealing. Rather, now you pursue something. Let, you, let people work with their hands so they can earn some money to have something to give to those in need. Now think about that. That's the antidote. Say no to kleptomania, stealing. Say yes to generosity, earning some money so you can actually share something. That's the antidote to this desire to stealing. So there is a saying no, but there's also a pursuing of something else. You cannot say no because that just leaves your life a vacuum if you stop there. And nature hates a vacuum. Your sinful human nature hates a vacuum. You cannot live just saying no. You've got to say yes to what's honorable and God-honoring and spend your time pursuing it. One of the things I love about Grace Fellowship is we've got some people with some awesome stories. Did you know that? We've got some of the most amazing saints of God in this church. I hope you, you're getting to know some of them because I want to tell you, whichever campus you're worshiping at, there are people around you with some pretty incredible God stories, the story of their life. Their testimonies are awesome. And here, here's something that's a bit unusual about this church. We have a higher percentage than usual, follow me on this, of men and women who spent 40 years living selfishly and a debaucherous life apart from God. 40 years, and then God stirred in them, they came to Christ. 
50 years, debaucherous. 60 years, even 70 years doing their own thing. And then God stirred in their heart and they came to faith in Christ and began to follow him as their Lord and Savior. We have an unusual number of those stories. Praise be to God. And I love the fact that God does that. Amen and amen. But are you still listening? That is pretty rare. Generally speaking, what you are at the age of 20 is what you're going to be for the rest of your life. Generally speaking. If it's anything different than that, just take it almost as a miracle. Because pretty much what your character is, what you're set at at the age of 20 is pretty well the trajectory your life is probably going to be on. These are the averages now. By God's grace, he can do anything. And our church is full of stories about those miracle things that God does in changing a life. But what I'm saying to you young people is because your life is pretty well set in terms of your character and who you're going to be by the age of 20, you ought to settle this thing early. <laughs> settle it now. Give your life to Christ now. Say with Amy Carmichael and all the others who've been used so powerfully by God, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. What a refreshing challenge. This is so counterculture, it's unbelievable. But Paul is just laying down the gauntlet for Timothy. He's saying, young man, young man, God has a plan for you. Well, there's two more things I want to say, but I've got to hit them real quick, and I will. And that is, not only can Timothy, as a young disciple, set the standard by being an example, but second, Paul challenges him to study the scriptures. I'm looking here at verse 14. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Now, listen up. Obviously, as a pastor, this was a part of Timothy's function as a leader. He read scripture publicly, and he preached and taught on it. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, kind of an interesting verse, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Notice the two things he highlights there. Watch your doctrine and watch your life. And young people... I would give you that same refreshing challenge today. I urge you to watch your doctrine as well as watching your life. Now, what does he mean by doctrine? Boy, that's a fancy stained glass word, isn't it? I'll bet you don't use that very often out in the workaday world. But doctrine, as we speak of it, is simply all the Bible says about a certain issue. For instance, what is our doctrine of God? Well, here's what you do. You go from Genesis to Revelation, and you kind of condense and summarize all that Scripture says about God, and that is your doctrine about God. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his triunity, Father, Son, and Spirit. All of the attributes of God, love, holiness, faithfulness, etc., all of that congealed together is your doctrine about God. Now, here's why you need to watch it. 
Because doctrine downgrades naturally. Mark my words on that. Doctrine downgrades naturally. And the reason Paul would make such a challenge for Timothy to watch his doctrine is that we generally want to start downgrading biblical theology. We just do it naturally. It happens in every generation because the Bible teaches some really hard things. But because they're true, we can't just chuck them or jettison them or throw them out the window. So we got to watch them. we got to guard them. Paul even uses the word, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, 2 Timothy 1.14. But he says also, guard your life. Doctrine and life go together. They are married and they must never be separated. And usually when someone starts sliding downward in their doctrine, usually they're also sliding downward in their life and vice versa. You can take that to bank. That's gold right there. Just watch it. It, It's one of the easiest things to illustrate in real life. Whenever the life begins to slide, it usually coincides with a slide in doctrine and vice versa. So Paul says, look, watch that. Study the scriptures. Be solid in your life. Let me just echo again what I said last week. If there were one habit, well, just one, that I wish I could get every disciple at Grace Fellowship actively engaged in, it would simply be reading scripture. And hopefully with someone who can help with their understanding of that. One-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, one-on-eight, whatever it is, read scripture and watch your life and doctrine closely. And the final thing here is, Paul says to Timothy, stir up your gift, verse 14. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Again, specifically for Timothy, this is a reference to a sort of commissioning prayer that was prayed over Timothy. Obviously, a body of elders came around him, as is still the habit today. This happened to me when I was 23 years old. A body of leaders, church leaders, came around, laid hands on me at an altar in front of a big congregation and commissioned me to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll never forget that moment. I hope it wasn't empty hands on empty head, okay? Hope it wasn't that. Hopefully God honored that, and I believe there's a power that God conveys to people through that kind of commissioning. And that happened to Timothy. But please don't mistake this. It's not just Timothy that's gifted. You are. Every true disciple of Jesus has not only received the Holy Spirit to indwell him or her, but they have been given gifts whereby God can bring life to others and hope and healing. What is your gift? Do you know it? Would you believe me if I told you there was a time in my life when I believed God could not use me? I'm telling you the truth. I thought he could use others, people with a better pedigree, people who had more prospects, people who had something to be proud of in their life, people who had more education, 
on and on and on. I thought God could use some people, but not me. Do you understand how liberating it was? <laughs> I, I saw, wow, God can actually use me? I think some of you might be raptured if you actually came to believe that God could use you to make a difference. He can. God wants to use you. Not only can he, but he's dying to use you. But here's the sad thing I've observed. We keep it real. We keep it real at Grace. I tell you, you can sit in church for 30 years and not stir up your gift. You can sit in church and sing the songs and listen to sermons ad nauseum for 40, 50 years and never stir up your gift. Ah, what's your gift? What does God want you to do? And the best way to discover that is not to sit in the lotus position and gaze at your navel. It's not to go through a checklist of potential spiritual gifts. The best way to discover your gift is actually to try some things. And amazingly, you discover, no, that's not for me. Or, hallelujah, God can actually use me in this way. And I tell you, you begin to live life with a capital L when you realize what your gift is, when you stir it up, and when you begin to put it to use. Now, here's my final word today. Whoever you are, Whatever your age, get caught up in the adventure of being a better disciple. I tell you, brothers and sisters, it is the great adventure. And if you're older, hey, it's never too late. If you're younger, it's never too early to begin to stir up your gift and to truly ask God to help you make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for all of your disciples that call Grace Fellowship their home. I thank you for every one of them, the young, the old, everyone in between. And specifically today, my heart yearns, yearns today for younger disciples not to say, I'm too young to make a difference. Would you, Lord, show them today, burn in their heart that you can start a revolution in their life. That they, by your grace, can set the example in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Hallelujah. Thank you for the ways you're moving us, renovating us in our souls, and literally starting a revolution of new life among your people. We give you praise for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.